Hello and welcome everyone. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening depending upon when where you are listening to this. Welcome back to Digital Strategy Unlocked, a forum for C-suite leaders to come, pause, reflect, take a break and see the larger perspective. Focusing on how digital transformation is affecting our world, the economy, the organizations. I'm very excited today. This is Deepak Sharma, your host, to welcome Marty Mrugal, our guest for the day today. and equally excited about the topic experience digital the dance between interactions and relationships but before we jump into it marty who's currently on a sabbatical after a very long stint in corporate will hand it over to him to give us an intro and then we'll jump into it marty thank you deepak very excited to be here uh, and to speak to you today about those topics uh my background i have 37 years of experience and it's broad across both transportation logistics software enterprise relationship management and virtualization and i'm really excited to kind of share my experiences and my journey with you in the audience today fantastic marty so before we even get to our topic just building on that i think the listeners would love to kind of understand your journey right consolidated rail to sap to citrix to illusion to today how did it start how did you navigate to kind of where you are today yeah that's a that's a great question i studied in college logistics it was you know materials management back then i don't think supply chain management was really in the term in vogue back then business logistics certainly was and materials management and i really loved that topic and i also studied marketing and economics and i loved all three and really took uh, a lot of classes in them and then at the end of my college my undergraduate i decided that i wanted to really pursue business logistics and that's how i landed at consolidated rail and i spent the first 8 years at consolidated rail in sales and i really think that was a great indoctrination into the view of the customer and i always felt even early in my career that i was on the front lines and saw things that many many others in the company did not see first to see the trends first to see customer demands and needs and wants and i just think that was a great way to to really start and then i kind of morphed into more business development roles where we were basically doing a lot of large bid and proposals for transportation logistics and you really had to think about and considered the investments that were being made in rolling stock and equipment and i started doing return on investment analysis and capital asset planning and more advanced techniques and that also took me back to school and i went to graduate school and received my degree there really it was because of the finance and the capital asset planning and things like that that drove me in that direction my years and i, I spent 12 years with consolidated rail i spent a lot of time in steel plants in assembly plants in industrial manufacturing facilities in chemical facilities oil refineries it was also really a great experience in terms of the industrial side of america and how things were made right i mean you talk you go back to the tv show how things are made and it was really living that experience in a bigger broader sense because the company was bringing inbound raw materials and then taking finished goods out so you really had to understand the entire process and so the company was acquired by two competitors 
1998 and it was all over the Wall Street Journal and the two competitors had bid up the price of Conrail and I had the opportunity to really think about, did I want to stay in that industry or did I want to do something different? And after a lot of contemplation, I decided not to go with either of the two offers and really get out of the rail industry. Now, at the time, my father thought I was absolutely insane because I had two young children and I was walking away from a pretty good career and a very lucrative career. And I, I just, in my heart, I knew I wanted to do something different. And yeah, I mean, it was to the point where we had our house for sale. I was moving to Jacksonville, Florida, and I just came home and told my wife, I have to do something else. And so we completely changed direction and I started interviewing and I wanted to, I wanted to either focus on pharmaceuticals or the software industry, because I thought both of those industries, A, had higher margins than the transportation logistics industry, and B, were just more exciting to me. And I thought that the growth potential would be uh, significant. I actually ended up interviewing with SAP and SAP was interested in my uh, experience, especially my, in my manufacturing, my days in spending in manufacturing facilities and uh, auto assembly plants in particular. So I had kind of that process knowledge of automotive and, and really manufacturing, but I also had the, the finance background because I was doing a lot of financial work in terms of customer proposals and bids and things like that. So th they were really looking for people that could come in, work with the client and really help them and foster the capital authorizations to justify large expenditures for enterprise relationship management systems. So I really spent the first couple of years at SAP writing return on investment proposals and capital authorization requests on behalf of our customers to justify the, the, the software. Again, a really good experience for me because I had the business process background in automotive, but not the software experience of SAP. And as you well know, Deepak, SAP is, is very rich in terms of business process and very industry-specific business processes. So I had to learn at a pretty significant level what the, how SAP treated business processes and then compare that to how the customer was, was doing the work prior to SAP and then formulate the, the benefits and the return on investment that, that would justify the software. From there, I managed the manufacturing industries for North America which included aerospace and defense, engineering and construction, industrial manufacturing, um, software and technology companies. So it, it, was, a, it was a broad range of, of and automotive manufacturing facilities. Again, I got to use my background that, that was you know, formulated in my earlier years to work with clients and understand their needs and really help to drive requirements back into our product management organizations so that we can continue to build out at SAP the, the industry specification that really was the differential between SAP and many of its competitors is that they did have that industry and sub-industry specificity. Uh, so I, I did that for a while. I also ran uh, pre-sales organizations for some of those industries. And then in about 1996, I was asked to launch SAP's first cloud product called Business by Design. And that was, that was a, an ERP in the cloud, and it, it, SAP had spent a, a ton of money and energy and resources to really launch this, this first product. And it was very early in the cloud days. I mean, for the most part, 
cloud sales was really missionary sales for the most part, just educating customers on what it is, what its capabilities were, et cetera. And that launch went uh, okay, but not great. It was it didn't meet SAP's expectations for product standards and uh, adoption. And so I remember two years later, the, um, Ernie Gunst, who was the COO of SAP, called me and said, hey, how would you like to come in and do a project, an internal project for the next you know, year to two years and really dissect the way SAP innovates products? Because clearly we made some missteps here. And so I spent really about 18 months. They took myself out of the field and then they took someone from engineering and we looked at you know, for every, everything from the first idea for the project to when it was installed at a customer site. So we looked at the complete innovation process and development, engineering development, product launch, the whole nine yards. And it was an amazing perspective to look at the way that software at a large scale company like SAP was developed from, from start to finish. And then after two years, and I remember someone someone saying to me, these internal consulting projects, and you could really appreciate this, Deepak, given your background, um, internal consulting projects are great. It's something that you'll want to do, but you'll never want to do again. It'll be a great experience, but you'll never want to do it again. And that was not quite true. I mean, I really enjoyed the experience, but I was really looking forward after almost two years, and we presented our findings to the board and the, the CEO to really getting back in business. So uh, from there, I, I managed uh, the manufacturing sectors um, for SAP globally, which was all the manufacturing sectors, both consumer, process, and discrete manufacturing. And so we had the industrial, basically the IBUs, where the industry business units fell under my, my responsibility. So I did that for a couple of years. And then when we acquired Ariba, we lost that first level of management. I was a COO for Ariba for a while. And then I was the COO for our industries organization, which comprised 26 different industries. And I worked for our president of, of industries at that time. I then became the chief innovation officer at SAP North America, where we combined the pre-sales practice, the services organization, the return on investment, the value engineering advisory practice, and the, the solution advisory practices. So we had four practices that were virtually working independently. And what we wanted to do is bring those together to really drive transformation for customers, digital transformation for customers. And so we really created a practice around advising and consulting our customers for digital transformation. And then the last thing I did at SAP, we started something called Customer First, which was really the first time that SAP recognized customer success and, and what the potential could be. So we created a new engagement model for customers. We brought together almost all of the, the independent customer success organizations across the company into one unified organization called Customer First or customers, SAP Customer Success. So it, that was uh, very successful. I was fortunate because I, I had the opportunity to look at the best practices across the 40 plus billion dollars of cloud organizations that we had acquired and then drive a unified model for SAP around customer success. That was great because I've, I've always been passionate for, for customers and for customer success. And it was a beautiful way to, to end my career. Then COVID happened and I decided to, to make a change. And I went to Citrix for about a year and a half as a chief customer officer there and uh, responsible for 
strategic work working with Microsoft, uh, Google, and AWS. And then I just finished a stint at a company called Lucene, which is in the ed tech space as their chief operating officer. Now I'm on sabbatical and it's been really fun to take a step back, but I'm excited to jump back in and, and see what's next as well. So that's a long, uh, a long story, but that's, that was my journey. Uh, it's, been, it's been very fulfilling. Fantastic, Marty. I mean, what a journey. So congratulations on it. I'm sure our listeners will get a lot of insights. I picked up three things. Number one was the starting in sales. I would love to go back in time and see you in sales. Because by the time I started interacting with you, you were already high up at SAP. The second was be bold. You just took a very bold decision early on when you came back and told your family. The third was don't be afraid to go from external to internal, which is what you kind of did at SAP as well. And obviously enjoying the journey along the way. So those were kind of my takeaways. We let the listeners take, but fantastic. Congratulations. Now that we have that out of the way, let's get into the topic of the day. How do you think about this dance between interactions and relationships? And how do you see turning that into a differentiator and digital playing a part in it? Yeah, I see a convergence of interactions and relationships. And some of it is naturally occurring because customers are driving and requiring a more unified model between actions and relationships. And I also see technology converging to help drive that. But there is this constant need for companies to look at the customer from a 360 degree lens. And that requires a tremendous amount of integration between all of those interactions and actions and that customer relationship and continuing to nurture that customer relationship um, across the customer journey. And you, you hear a lot about customer journey and journey mapping. And that really is important to understand where your customers are on the journey, what types of interactions they've had to date, where they are today. And more importantly, based on trends and analysis, where do we think they're going in the future? What have they expressed? What types of relationships, what types of products, what types of product extensions do they want in the future? So this idea of the actions and the relationships is becoming really more of a focal point across companies. And there are challenges to really taking advantage of that. There's functional silos, there's technology silos, there's various ch customer channels that come in and unifying that is, is really an opportunity as well as a challenge today. I, I couldn't agree more with you, Marty. That makes a lot of sense. Building upon where you were ending with the silos, right? We all know, and you've talked about this uh, before as well, that there's data sitting in these silos across process and systems. And you need to kind of harness that to create, let's say, predictive insights. How do you see this phenomena of predictive insights play across sectors, particularly as the AI revolution takes hold, which we are seeing in play right now? I'm fortunate to sit on the board of a company that is doing some predictive work in the manufacturing space. You and I both know that predictive has been around for a while, but it really hasn't met the promise uh, of those earlier days when Predictive was first announced. And so the opportunity to 
take data, let's, let's take this example, right? This company takes vibration and oil analysis data on the shop floor of machinery in the production line, and they take that back and they analyze it. And then they, they go back to the customer. What makes this company unique is they actually have scientists that analyze that data for the client. And then they go back to the client and they say, dear client, machine four on line two is about to fail because the bearing is starting to seize. And so what you're doing is you're being very, very prescriptive using data for a customer action that is going to save them time, money, and prevent potentially downtime for a manufacturing line. And it could be a product that is in high demand. That's just a simple example of the power of the data, but it's, it's not just the data. It's taking that data, making it actionable and making it frictionless, making the action that results from that data frictionless for the customer. That's where things are going and that's where things are headed. It's removing that friction part. And I saw it in multiple roles across my experience. A lot of times you can present the data to a client, but presenting the data and then actually doing something with that data and, and walking the customer through in a very easy fashion on what they need to do and why, that's the hard part. It's almost like the last mile in telco, right? It's, it's like, we have all these insights, but how do we make sure that the customer's actually acting on them to drive the benefits? Because if, if you don't achieve that last mile, the chances for a renewal, especially in, in a subscription business, become less and less. You want to ensure the long-term health of that client. You want to assume and assure the long-term success that they have with your product or service. And the way to do that is to make sure that you continually drive that return on that product investment client. And they see that in a, in a frictionless way. Makes a lot of sense to me, Marty. And I want to build on that frictionless and the actions that you talked about. Because when I think about it, and I remember another executive I was speaking with said, I've got data and insights lying all over my floor. I just can't pick them up and do something with it. So in the end, we know it's all about the outcomes coming from those actions, right? How do you see clients taking that outcome and extracting maximum value from it? And particularly through some of the roles that you've had, what operating and engagement model changes will be needed both for the organizations and for their clients in order to get maximum value from it. The first thing I would say is bringing all of the different data silos together in a unified way, I think it is absolutely critical. With the advances of machine learning and AI, you now have the ability to really accelerate and sift and parse through that data to drive the, the meaningful insights in, in ways that could not be possible even five years ago. And so these advancements that are happening and, and you know, look at the example I just gave uh, around the, these actual insights for vibration analysis, that data is coming in. It's coming into a machine learning and, and AI models, and they're continuing to advance those models so that even simple changes can mean big opportunities for predictive maintenance and to save time and, and money on the shop floor. It's really taking the expertise of those scientists, right, that are analyzing that data, putting that back into the model. That ongoing cycle of learning um, and replenishment of the data continues to expand the AI model that they're using to improve the predictive nature. 
And I see that cycle as something that will continue across businesses. You can apply that same model in customer success. I think one of the challenges that I faced in my experiences in customer success was just the amount of different applications from sales to sales operations, to services, to support, to professional services. Like they all have different software, data, data models. And so unifying all that customer data becomes a a real challenge. I think one of the things that AI and machine learning models do is they can take these disparate data models and start to make some sense of them and really help accelerate those customer outcomes. So you're right. It is all about those customer outcomes, but it's about using these new technologies of artificial intelligence, machine learning, the analytics on top, removing that that friction with the customer that will really make the difference. And it, it, it will separate best-in-class companies from average or below. There you have it for the listeners, you know, a path to get to best-in-class kind of building on those actionable insights. Now, not switching gears, but a little bit slightly different, Marty, my next question. You know, at Photon, we believe we are entering the era of intelligent interactions. And that in future, they would be like a dynamic digital concierge to serve all your needs. How does that play into the dance topic of today between interactions and relationships? And how do you see the interactions in future being different from today? One of the big objectives in customer interaction and customer satisfaction is around response time, satisfying the the customer's request first time to response, mean time to response, all of those things are are critical. And again, that separates best in class companies. And what I see, especially in consulting uh, companies, is that those companies that are taking advantage of digital interfaces, they're not the digital interfaces of, of old or even the analog interfaces that came on early. There is a huge opportunity to take advantage of these advanced technologies that really improve customer satisfaction and customer response rates. The best-in-class companies will take and unify those digital assets and those intelligent interactions with the human interaction. And it's that combination that becomes really powerful and really takes your customer success rate to an exponential level. When I was the chief operating officer in my, in my last role, we were really scouring, looking for the best technologies that would allow us to scale our customer interactions and really not just um, reduce our cost of customer interactions, but really improve the impact that the company had and continually to differentiate our company versus our competitors at the same time. And so Taking advantage of these intelligent interactions like Photon and others really can make the difference um, for clients uh, in, in the future. There's no question in my mind. And it's not easy for senior vice presidents of customer success, chief operating officers, chief innovation officers to really find a lot of these technologies today. And the really good ones are few and far be- between, which is why I was so excited to, to talk to you, Deepak, today because it will make a substantial difference in customer outcomes 
in the next five years. It will be a huge differentiator. I think you're absolutely right, Martin. One of the things we are seeing at Photon is also this stitching together of the right technologies in kind of a microservices architecture layer, right? So the technologies are growing like crazy. For example, even if you look at MarTech, they are now over 13,000 vendors in the MarTech space. They used to be only about 750 to 1,000 about a decade ago. So that exponential growth is there. How do you sort through that and find the right technologies and then stitch the right ones together to give you that intelligent interaction at scale is kind of where the name of the game is. So I, I couldn't agree more. We are seeing that as well at Photon. Switching gears a little bit, given your three decades plus career, what advice would you have for those starting out their career or early in their career in digital today? Any recommendations from your school of hard knocks? <laughs> I, I go back to some of your observations earlier, right? I think understanding your interests, where your interests are, is it in data and analytics? Is it in sales? Is it in customer success? Is it in servicing and installing the product? Really taking advantage of opportunities to learn and grow. And that doesn't necessarily mean promotions, like always looking for the next level. It means taking advantage of maybe some horizontal moves in your career to really gain new knowledge and new experiences. If I look back across my years, I really took advantage of opportunities to learn different aspects of the business. That made me more marketable, both internally and externally, but it also gave me an appreciation of what I liked and what I didn't like. The more you love what you do, the less it feels like work at all. And so the more experiences that you can have across functional areas, and even sometimes things surprised me, right? I, I thought I was going to absolutely dread the internal consulting role when it first happened, because I was a field guy. I was always a customer facing person. It was really eye-opening to me to see where the blockers were, where the opportunities were, et cetera. So my advice is take advantage of opportunities. It doesn't always have to be a promotion and understand really what gets you excited and what doesn't get you excited. And it's kind of those, that, that confluence of those things that will make the difference and, and success for you and the organization. Sage advice there for our listeners, Marty. Learn, take advantage, and figure out what you like or don't like. Sounds simple, but I know it's not as easy to do, and you've done it remarkably well. So I'm sure I appreciate that, and the listeners will too. Now, a little bit of a fun question, right? Can you think back in time and describe the moment? It could be personal, it could be professional, when digital became very real for you. For example, for me, it was like my younger daughter was two and a half years old and at a restaurant, there was an LCD screen and she kept trying to pinch it in and out, zoom in and out using her fingers because, and it hit me like, that's what a digital native is. For them, every screen is like an iPhone screen. And it's a completely different world for her than it is for me. Uh, so for you, when was that moment, if you recall, where it hit you that, man, digital is going to really transform the world at this point? I'm a, I'm a cyclist, as you know. And I remember when the, the power meter and the, the heart rate monitor had been around for a while, but the power meter had not been. And I remember 
seeing power meter data for the first time coupled with heart rate data and thinking this is going to transform sports, not just cycling. This type of data will transform. These types of insights will transform data in the future. And that's when it really hit me. And then I started seeing sporting, sporting goods companies investing in technology, Under Armour, right? Way, 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 way back when was starting to build a platform and others. And that's when it, it really hit me. Having two daughters that, that are digital natives, your example is great too. They think differently, they act differently, and their expectations are different than previous generations. One of the most common comments and pieces of feedback that I'm getting from companies is our customer base is changing. And there are digital natives now that have way bigger expectations and different expectations than our traditional customers. And so they're actually thinking about the demographics of their customers, how it's changing with these digital natives and what they need to do in the future to be much more responsive and adaptable and meet the expectations of that whole demographic. That is so insightful. I think you are spot on there about the change uh, in the customer and the change in the expectations on the customer as more and more digital natives get into the workspace. And the digital native also, I would say, is a couple of different generations, right? The digital natives coming up today are probably different than even just eight years ago, five years ago. So appreciate you sharing those examples for sure. I know we are going to come up on time, but any other thoughts on the topic or any other thoughts for our listeners, Marty, before we wrap up today? I think the last thing I would say, there's been much written and there'll be even more written about artificial intelligence, machine learning, and advanced technologies. There are certainly huge opportunities. There are certainly concerns around use, around threats, around how it's used for illicit activity, things like that. I think with the right governance, there will be tremendous strides made across industries, businesses, business functions that take advantage of the, these new technologies and integrate them into business processes and really think about changing business processes, right? They, they have, if you look just in the news in the last two days, you have companies like SAP and IBM that are completely transforming their work, their workforces because of artificial intelligence and the opportunities that, that, that it presents. I would leave the audience with embrace this technology, embrace the change because the impact that it will have across industries and across business processes and customer interactions will be profound over the next five years. Perfect. And it's kind of uh, funny, but I was just thinking in my brain as you were talking, that you're going to tell people to embrace the change that's coming. <laughs> that's kind of where, where you went. And I think that's absolutely true. The transformation is still early and there'll be more coming and embrace it. So there you have it uh, for our listeners. Marty, really, really appreciate your time and insights today. It's been wonderful to have this conversation and to have you as a guest on our show. Thank you once again, Marty, for everything. And for our listeners, Please go ahead, download, listen, 
at your time at your will either on spotify apple podcast or any other podcast mechanism that you like and stay tuned for more guests as we do digital strategy unlock and last but not the least marty a last thank you for the dance between interactions and relationships thank you very much thank you deepak it was a pleasure to be here